Well, we're going to call up a dear friend of mine who is actually in uniform. Uh, you guys are so blessed. I heard that I got to hear the tail end of all the kids. Kids, you are dismissed. And you better be in single file. This is Veterans Day. All right, we need order. <laughs> Get in step. <laughs> but we are so honored in this church to have this great man of God here. Um, Mr. Lewis is a chaplain in the Army. He's a lieutenant colonel, and he served four years in the Air Force before he took a little distance away from the military and has now been serving as a chaplain for 16 years. Um, I won't get into all of his stories because he's going to get into some here in his message, and they're amazing. But this man has been in some places, some bad places, uh, some places that we have all heard about over the last several years of some of the places where our soldiers have lost their lives, and, and Chaplain Lewis has been there. And so we get to hear from this man. And, you know, Army, I was in the Navy. You were in the Air Force first, but, you know, you don't have to admit it, but I can see it shaking your head that the Navy <laughs> was the best. But you know what? In the Navy, I thought I would never be jealous of anybody in the Army until I got about a month ago the honor to go golfing with this man. And I was like, my God, if I could ever have a swing like Mr. Lewis. <laughs> Lord bestowed upon me because, uh, no, we had a good time, and we really did, but... It was an honor to get to know Mr. Lewis and have him be able to speak today. It's such an honor for this church. And you will receive, I promise you. And his wife is sitting there, Marilla. You want to stand and give you a little honor? I found out there's a connection with her. I hope I said her name right. Okay. But there's a special story there, too. If you ever want to get to know these people, they greet us in the service before you get in here. But her father and her family were defectors from Cuba. And it's such a, a thing close to my heart because I served in Cuba. Oh, I'm not supposed to cry. In That's the, awesome, in brother. Go Navy, ahead. But Help yourself. <laughs> That's what 25 years of marriage will do to you. <laughs> but uh, I met some of the most special people in my military career in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Uh, I was there with the refugees when there were 30,000 Cubans that were just... They just would die, and they were dying. They were risking their lives just to get an opportunity for their feet to hit the sand of what you guys walk on every day, every day. You know, in the midst of all this politics and everything else that's going on in this political division, we lose sight of the blessings that we do have as Americans. And that when I remember the Cubans that I were working with and that I was helping provide shelter for, they just wanted that opportunity to let their feet hit the sand. They didn't have any expectations of what they was, was uh, entitled to once they become a citizen. They just wanted the opportunity. So I look forward to getting to know you and your family a little bit more, but I'm so honored to be able to introduce Chaplain Bob Lewis. Thank you, brother. Thank you. So much. Well, the Lord has definitely blessed my golf ministry. I'm telling you, we <clears throat> work on that all the time. And it is a ministry in many ways. I know people laugh when I say that, but I won't go into detail. <clears throat> but uh, it's absolutely an honor to be here this morning. It's an honor to represent veterans. It's an honor to represent chaplains. And it's also an honor to speak on behalf of the Lord this morning. And, you know, not only veterans, but I'm, and he already bragged on my wife, you know, and, and um, oh, next year we'll be hitting the big 4-0. She's put up with me a long time. But also, you know, I thought um, of the 16 years that I've been serving as a chaplain, I've been gone almost collectively eight of those years. And my wife's held the fort down. She's kept everything together and not had to worry. Well, maybe one time. When I was in Afghanistan, she called me, or we talked, and she told me the truck got totaled. And anyway, that's, that's a whole other story. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's not just veterans, but it's, it's our spouses. It's our family that collectively holds us up and supports us, and I think that's awesome. And I'm so happy to have my wife here for the second service because... She'll tell me everything I said wrong when it's over. <clears throat> Just 
keeps me straight and honest. But you know, I thought about the different branches of the military, and the Navy always liked to brag on themselves. <laughs> and um, you know, we're like family, really. We, we do run each other down, we talk about each other negatively, and, but we don't mean it. But like family, you know, when you're brothers and sisters, you talk each other down, but nobody outside the family better say anything negative. And, um, and so I was thinking about the story of the, the stewardess that had a plane full of military people. And so she stood up and she made an announcement. And she said, for our Air Force and our Navy personnel, she said, we'll be landing at 2 o'clock. For our Army people, that's 1,400. And for our Marines, that's when Mickey's big hand's on the 12 and his little hand's on the 2. Our youngest is in the Marine Corps and wouldn't be more proud of him. But anyway, um, you know, when, when I left the Air Force and went into the Army, you know what they call this when you put your hands in your pocket? Hey, she's paying attention. They call these Air Force gloves. <laughs> so it's, it's just good camaraderie, good things. Really, it's become more of a purple military, we call it, in the sense that when you, especially when you go into war zones, it bleeds over all different directions. When I was in Iraq, I was a chaplain for the Special Forces. I had seven Special Forces teams, and I had five SEAL teams that I was a chaplain for. And when I had to go see the SEAL teams, who got me there? But the Marines convoyed me. So it was just a little bit of everything. And so when I was traveling as a recruiter, a chaplain recruiter for two years, I recruited chaplains. It was a lot of fun. It was awesome. Got to go to a lot of seminaries, a lot of ministers' conventions, and Uncle Sam picked up the tab. Can't beat that. And so I was out in Phoenix, Arizona, and there was a, a funeral for one of the pilots that was killed in Iraq. And um, so I thought I'd stop in, and I was there for the service, and, and I'm in uniform because you're recruiters, so you always wear that neon sign. And uh, almost all Air Force around me and so one fellow asked this question with this negative connotation you know I, I did four in the Air Force so I had that Air Force pride I knew what he was talking about how'd you go from the Air Force to the Army you know are you catching it and so I thought well <clears throat> you know the four years I was in the Air Force I never saw a chaplain and I worked in the control towers an air traffic controller and so you could see the whole base and I'd say there's the chapel, you pointed out. And so if you wanted to see a chaplain, you went to the chapel to see the chaplain. I don't know if the Air Force has really changed their, their uh, ministry or not, but you know, for the most part, it was like a pastor in some ways. But in the Army, you come in, and the Army's big on ministry of presence. So chaplain, I don't want you sitting in your office and looking at four walls. I want you being with the soldiers. I want you to get out. They call it a unit ministry team. I have a chaplain assistant who, um, him and I are a team, and we go everywhere together. And uh, in a war zone, he's my bodyguard. They don't give chaplains a weapon. They give us an assistant. You make sure he qualifies with his weapon. And so the ministry of presence is like the green ticket, the, green, the open door to go anywhere you want, and I absolutely had a good time. Anyway, I won't tell you all those stories. I only got... I, I tried to check it out and come up with around 276 stories to tell in this sermon, so I had to narrow it down just a few. But also I thought about, as I looked at the numbers, the Air Force, if it's correct, has about a half a million active duty reserve and guard, and the Army has around 2.2 million. So, I mean, who as a chaplain or a minister would not want four times the opportunity to minister, right? Four times the congregation. So that was a good thing, and a lot of other things opened up. So, and I thought I'd just draw to your attention to put our veterans on your prayer list. Do you know that almost one veteran almost every hour takes his life? You realize that? 22 veterans every day take their lives. And that's a sad story. And so pray for our chaplains. Pray that the Lord will send laborers into the field 
people that are willing and able to go. Chaplaincy is not for everyone, but I'm telling you, it's totally awesome if you're looking for a challenging ministry that's anything but ordinary. And pray that chaplains will find the keys to help stopping the suicides. Um, let me just give you a couple little pointers about my uniform. How many, very, how many of you know anything about the uniform besides it's just colorful? I mean, you know, you might be playing a, a trivia pursuit game or something, right, and want to know. So, like I said in the first service, if you, were, if you were a general, your uniform would match, your pants would match your, your jacket. That's the, that's the pleasure. And, of course, this stripe is for officers instead of enlisted, don't have no stripe, but generals get the corded braid down through here or something. I don't know. Is that right, brother? And um, so differences, a lot of differences. Um, these three hash marks are six months for every time I've been overseas in a war zone. This is the one unit that I deployed with, Special Forces. So I've got a, two others I could wear on that, but this is the most prestigious, you know. Um, this is my recruiter badge. This is my traffic controller badge. If, you, uh, if you're in the Air Force, you would know that some of these ribbons are Air Force ribbons, so you'd know my, my biography without even talking about it. You'd know I have an Air Force basic and marksmanship and some of those. And then a ribbon's the higher and closer to the heart are more important. And so, of course, my bronze star. Um, and then these little bitty things that they put in here, these are... These are um, they talk about them, and they if you get a duplicate ribbon, you don't wear the same one. So this is a, let me see here. There's a bronze one there that's one, and then the silver is like five. So I have like six MSMs and whatever. So those, that's it. That's the Christmas story. This is my chaplain crest, one of the most important ones. So um, as I said earlier, I started out four years in the Air Force, enlisted, air traffic controller. I learned a lot of things in basic, Air Force basic. I learned, I learned important things like a gig line. Do you know what a gig line is? That's this little line right here. This, this belt buckle and that zipper all are straight as can be. That's a gig line. That's important to know. Maybe not life or death, but it is important. <laughs> and so then when I went, you know, I was finished almost with basic training, and they said, hey, uh, you're gonna, if you put down air traffic controller, you'll get to be an air traffic controller. This is when Reagan fired all the air traffic controllers when they went on strike. You remember that? Some of you are old enough. And uh, I said, well, don't put it. And then they said, so basics over. And he said, hey, guess what? You're going to go to school to be an air traffic controller. Anyway, when you're in the military, you have to believe in God's providence. And it is true. It really is. God opens doors. God does things. The military, they think they're controlling you but God just somehow puts the thumb in their back or directs or guides their pen and, and all the things that happen, and it's God moving, and I know you've experienced that. But, uh, you know, when you think of a chaplain, what's the first thing you think of? First thing that comes to mind is all the media and those Navy boys over there, always wanting to pray in Jesus' name, right? And so, hey, you chaplains, you know, you're living under persecution. You can't pray in Jesus' name. Well, I'm here to tell you that the not praying in Jesus' name only happens about 1% of the time, okay? So when the commander has a formation and it's mandatory for everybody to be there, and we have atheists, we have agnostic, we have Buddhists, we have whatever you want, the whole flavor, the chaplain doesn't stand up and give the invocation and just cram it all down everybody's throat. You just be mindful of being, you know, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. That's the only time. When I have a worship service, I have a Bible study, I have anything, I can pray in Jesus' name. So when I'm in a mandatory formation, I pray in the name of the one that loves us all. And in my mind, that's Jesus. In their mind, they can put whatever they want to in there. All right, so three descriptions of a chaplain I really like. Chaplains, first of all, we bring God to soldiers and soldiers to God. We stand in the gap, and I like that. Secondly, chaplains nurture the living. We care for the wounded. Now, I know I shut my phone off. Oh, it's my wife. <laughs> Should have known. 
She won't even answer that phone when I call. <laughs> anyway, I love you, babe. I got her some, I brought her, had her, I went to, I was in Iraq and we visited one of the Saddam's palaces that we bombed mercilessly and it was Victory Over America Palace. That's what he called it. He wanted his people to think. And so I brought home a, a whole handful of chandeliers, uh, sparkly chandelier stuff. You know, it's all cheap. Everything's cheap over there, really. But it's still fancy. And so I had a pair of made into earrings. I wanted her to wear them, but she said they're too heavy. But anyway, <laughs> that didn't cost you anything. But um, let's see, where was I? Nurture the living, care for the wounded, and honor the fallen. And those are the three main responsibilities of chaplains. And then a third thing they say about chaplains is that we're combat multipliers. And I really like that also. We, we, um, we really help the soldiers stay focused, and I'll talk about that a little more later. But we come in, and we, we just don't just add, but we multiply. And then other things chaplains do is we conduct suicide briefings, we memorial ceremonies, services, strong bonds, keep a pulse on the morale. We have the ear of the commander. We're like, a, we're like the wife to the commander. Or spouse, I guess, if you have to be. But the commander, you know, a lot of things that happen, and we, we, get, we get wind of it, and we, hey, the commander, you know, hey, sir, let me tell you about this. Let me, let me give you a little insight. Let me talk about this, talk about that. Um, when I was in Afghanistan, I traveled every other week, and um, for those that are in the military, I had a toxic XO. And so God opened the door to get me away from him, which was absolutely beautiful. And so, um, so I would travel, and I, you know, I would, I would put it in a, a in fact, I didn't even have to go to the Cubs, the commander update briefings. I just met him personally in his hooch, and I printed it out, and I said, here's what I did this week, here's what I'm doing next week. Ended up being the division chaplain, so I had 15 U.S. and 13 coalition chaplains I managed around, got around 6,000 miles in Afghanistan, just in the north alone. And so he would bless off on it, and, he, and, he, uh, and at the end, he just had some great words to say, and I won't repeat them because they're not all appropriate. But, but then I'd said, sir, I said, you did, you did not micromanage me, and you gave me the green light to do anything I felt I needed to do for ministry. And he said, I wish I could have done that with all my staff officers. And the Lord's been good to help me win the, you know, the commander and win the, you know, their approval and appreciation. So we have here the commander. So we keep life and death issues real. So we do death notifications. These are a few of the things that aren't always the funnest thing to do. But when you see two people show up at your door dressed like this, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out why they're there. And so I remember uh, had a master sergeant. So the second person with the chaplain has to outrank the person that was, that was killed in action. And so I had a master sergeant. We went to Brookville, and we knocked on the door. And the minute that mom saw us, we didn't have to say a word. She just went ballistic. I mean, she just started throwing stuff. She just started saying all kinds of things about the army and about God and, and us. We were responsible. But it was just part of, part of the responsibility. Then we went to see the dad. He was, they were divorced, so we had him on the list. And we were able to pray with him and all the things that we endeavor to do. Critical incident debriefs. Um, in a war zone, a critical incident debrief is what the chaplain conducts. It's not really spiritual, but it has a lot of um, value added. And so when a soldier is killed, we were in Iraq, we lost Dan Crabtree, in Afghanistan, we lost three soldiers. So you, you, they flew me down in Iraq. They flew me to Al-Qut, where the team was. I go right in there, gather all the soldiers that are involved. If you weren't there, you weren't part of it, you're not part of this meeting. I brought them all around, and then you just walk through a litany, a checklist of things. Who was there? What happened? What did this? And when you see Special for Forces soldiers cry to get your attention, and one will say, oh, well, I, I chose the route. If I'd have chosen a different route, Dan would still be alive today. And, oh, well, I, I chose the time. If I'd have chosen a different time, then Dan would still be here. And all those things were irrelevant. Dan was gone. And we had to just get all that out in the open, work on it. And then the next day, they were back outside the wire dealing with real issues, life and death. 
We had a, when the, one in Iraq or Afghanistan. My chap, one of my chaplains was so young and just green as could be, had never done anything like that. So I flew in with the sergeant major. It was interesting because uh, I got a lot of time in, in the Blackhawks, but so the sergeant major says, hey, chaplain, we had some, some deaths. You going down? I said, sure, so let's go. So my assistant and his assistant, and we got in these two birds, two Blackhawks. And usually, if you know anything about Blackhawks, they got 12 seats, three, three rows of four. And I'll tell you another thing about a Blackhawk. This very far back corner seat, if you ever get to ride one, don't sit in that seat. That's the one that gets all the prop wash, and it's about 20 degrees hotter, so if it's 110 in Afghanistan, it's 130 in that seat. But anyway, we, set, we got in these two planes, two birds, and um, they were for generals, I guess, because I'd never seen one before. It had just two seats in it. That's it. Two seats right there, and the other one had two seats. We jumped in it and got over there. And so I pulled my young chaplain in to help him walk through a critical incident debrief. And it was a, a V-bid. It was a, you know, vehicle-borne IED that brought about these three casualties. And the one SFAT team member was a Lieutenant Colonel Special Forces. And when he came into that room and he had the blood of his soldiers on his shoes, on his boots, and he had that deer-in-the-headlight look, he was just staring out into space. And it was just... We were having to bring them all back to reality. And there were a lot of other things that happened, but that, that's the critical incident debrief. We do ramp ceremonies and veterans' funerals and all the different things. And, and I thought about the providence of God in the midst of a, the army machinery. And I thought about um, that, that young, young chaplain, Joe French. The army... And the military, you train, you overtrain, and you train again. I mean, they just reiterate it. So we're, when you're pre-deployment, we go to Mississippi, and we spend a month there. And then if that wasn't enough, then they send us out to California, and we spend two or three weeks there, and we go out into the sandbox, they call it, where th there's no communication hardly and all the things that happen. And so we did the, the memorial ceremony in Mississippi. Every one of my chaplains walked through it because honoring the fallen is something you don't take lightly. And so when we got out to California, the powers that be said, hey, we want you to do a, a memorial ceremony walkthrough again, and we want this chaplain to do it. This was Joe French. Don't you know when we got in country, Joe French was the one that had the casualties, that had to deal with it. And it was all God knew what was going to happen. And God works through all that, and that providence of God, believing it every time. You don't have to be OCD to be in the military, but it does help. <laughs> it does help. And so my wonderful wife was following me up the steps yesterday. I don't know why she was coming behind me instead of in front of me, but she was. And I turned around and I said, how many steps are there going up, to, up this stairwell? She said, oh, I don't know. I said, we've been here how long, 15, 16 years? There's 12 steps, a landing, and two more. <laughs> how many steps go up to my study after that? I don't know, 16? No, there's seven steps and seven steps the other way, 14 steps. And so she keeps track of the important things like, you know, how many years? Maybe it was 17 instead of 16, I don't know, but somehow she keeps me straight. So I wanted to um, read a little bit of scripture this morning. We'll transition to a little short sermon, some thoughts. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm telling you, I don't remember your name, brother, but he's pretty impressive back there. He keeps me straight. He's better than my wife. <laughs> Scripture-wise, and keeping me straight. He said, no, this morning you read from, you, you know, you quoted 1 Timothy, but you read from 2. And I said, oh, is that right? And I looked at my notes. It did say 2. But anyway, I, I misquoted it. But anyway, I appreciate that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and following. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind do, who have no hope, who have no hope. And that is the antithesis of us, the opposite. We believe in Jesus Christ and his coming. We, therefore, we have hope. The world has no ground or no anchor. Therefore, they're without hope, looking for it. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, so also God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Drop down to verse 11 of chapter 5. And then he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you also are doing. Amen. If you get nothing else out of this sermon, remember these three words. Hope, comfort, and encouragement hope comfort and encouragement amen that's what we need there's a desperate need of hope today in this day and age for the church and for the world everybody's looking for hope in something we constantly need to be reminded that God is in control we need to be reminded that God's on the throne God's not caught by surprise There's nothing that God doesn't already know. Uh, He's moving purposely in this world today in in our lives. Uh, You know, the one thing we have to be reminded of in America is that we're not the only country that deals with biblical prophecy. Isn't that right? We think because something goes wrong in America, Jesus is coming. Uh, But I'm here to tell you things are happening all around the world. Uh, And Jesus isn't just coming for America. He's coming for every country, for every believer. Uh, Praise God. Today the word I hope has been weakened to mean almost the same as I wish. I wish this, or I wish that, but that's not the case as Paul wrote in the New Testament. Uh, He uses the word with a sense of absolute authority and certainty. Uh, It had been said that hope means being so sure about the future uh, that we can enjoy it in the present. Uh, The hope that we have is rooted in God's ability to do as he has promised that he will do. Uh, It's not hope in something, well, I hope this happens in myself, or I hope that, uh, you know, I hope that I find a bunch of chocolate in the refrigerator, uh, or I hope that something else happens. Uh, But no, my hope is in Jesus Christ uh, and his ability. Uh, Praise God in knowing that he is uh, my Savior and his blood has been applied. That's my hope. Uh, and Paul is saying uh, understanding of this hope will bring comfort in troubled times Uh, comfort one another with these words Uh, I thought about as Pastor Aaron spoken for numerous weeks on the family and the home uh, and I thought about when you're in a war zone it's the thought of home and family that keeps you going It's the thought of home that helps you endure the hardships. Uh, But at the same time, uh, we keep preaching to the soldiers, uh, I know you got to be in touch with home, but keep your head in the game. Keep a proper balance. Uh, Sure, you know, stay in touch with home, but keep your mind in the war. Uh, And I'm telling you, little crowd, there's a war going on. I'm not talking about just over in other countries. I'm talking about the warfare for the soul of mankind. Uh, Amen. Uh, our, our soul, where we're going to spend eternity. Uh, you know, I had the ability and opportunity to call home every day if I wanted to from Iraq. And the special forces, you're talking about have money. They got money. And you know those fancy Iridium phones, right? You get those, brother? Anyway, in 06, it was either 6 or $9 a minute to make a phone call on that. But hey, here, chaplain, call your wife. Hey, we're out in nowhere. Let me call her. No, I'm still alive. But, you know, I could do that. I mean, you could get online. You could do everything, and they'd they'd still do that. But, well, I didn't have anything to tell her. I didn't want her to know everything was going on. Yeah, you know, so-and-so just got killed. And, hey, life is interesting. And, no, I didn't. I'd send her a card every time I went on on a chopper. I don't know if she put two and two together or not. So, but, you know, mail's free over there, so I'd send her a card every and so then all these soldiers, they're always in touch with home. And then they come, chaplain, I need to go home. What's going on? Tell me about it. Well, you know, my girlfriend this and my spouse that and this and that. And, 
you know, son, I think you need to just focus on where you're at. Sometimes that tough love, you know, comes from the chaplain. And so, you know, sometimes we've got to keep our head in the game, but sometimes people get lost in war. I, I sent a picture over here to show you why some people physically get lost. That's a picture of a, of a sandstorm moving in Iraq. And I mean, when those babies moved in, you saw them coming. And then you spent the night sleeping with a T-shirt over your face because so the dust came in everywhere. And, you know, people are lost sometimes uh, in, the, in the whole war idea. They get lost physically. And then people get lost emotionally. You've seen a lot of people that have emotional things, emotional issues, and I'm not saying anything derogatory about that. I'm just talking about Jesus brings healing to emotions too. Yes. Yes. He sure does. I remember I studied at Asbury Seminary under um, uh, David Siemens, healing for damaged emotions, some of the things he wrote about. But I remember the story, I read the story of, of Pastor Ken Gobb. And Ken Gobb tells how his goal was to help those who were hurting. And he became a traveling missionary to, to America and other countries. And this was back in the 70s, he said. Now, some of you may not remember what a payphone is like, but this was back pre-cell pre phones. And in the 70s, he said, he and his family were traveling. He thought, Lord, am I really accomplishing anything for you? And then all of a sudden, you know, when you got a car full of kids, they're like, oh, food, food, you know, let's stop. And so the signs, he said, they were there, and, and they jumped off the next exit and saw the signs for places to eat. And he thought, that's it. That's what I need. I need a sign from God. So he said the family went into the pizza place to get something to eat, and Ken stayed out to stretch his legs and walk around a little bit. And, and then he looked around, and he said he saw a DQ across the street. And for some of us that are a little in the mid-age range, you know, ice cream is more important than other substances. Just saying, especially with chocolate on it. DQ across the street, and he walked over there, and he, he was still lost in thought and contemplation about his ministry. And, he could, and then all of a sudden, he heard this constant ringing. He looked around and he said there was, a, there was a pay phone right there and the phone was ringing, ring after ring after. He said it rang something like 15 times. And Ken said he picked up the phone and said, hello? And the other line said, long distance call for Ken Gobb. And he goes, you're crazy. And he said he looked around to see where the, the hidden camera was. Where's, that, where's the camera at? And so... Is this a joke? And the operator, she repeated, she said, I have a long-distance call for Ken Gobb. Is he there or isn't he? And he said, Operator, I am Ken Gobb. Well, she said, are you sure? <laughs> and the woman on the other end of the line said, that's him. I recognize his voice. And so the woman piped up, and she said, I'm, I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You don't know me, Ken, but I'm desperate. And Ken says, what can I do for you? And she goes on to say, she said, I was about to kill myself, and I was fixing to write my family a suicide note. And she said, some numbers came into my mind, and I thought, if only I had a miracle from God. And those numbers she called. And she said, are you in your office in California? Ken said, I don't have an office in California. My office is in Yakima, Washington. And I'm on the road, and right now, I love this part, I'm in the parking lot in Dayton, Ohio. And he gets back in his car, and he tells his wife, he said, you won't believe this, but God knows where I am. Amen. Isn't that awesome? I'm here to tell you, I don't care what kind of fog, what kind of war, what kind of battle you're facing, God knows where you are. The word of God says he knows and cares so much about you. He knows your name. He knows the amount of hairs on your head. God loves you that much. And he wants you to make it home safely. Praise his name. And then I thought about fear. The, the proper balance. And then some, there's some people that are just that just grapple with fear and the devil has so many people bound up by the fear of what could happen 
and the fear of this and the fear of that. And, and I thought, 2 Timothy, not 1 Timothy, brother. 1-7. One, one For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of the power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. You can, you can get all wrapped up in fear from this pandemic. You can get all wrapped up in fear from the politics of what's going on. And you can get wrapped up in fear of anything and everything out there. And it's the work of the enemy to get you just all coiled up and get you to hide in the basement or hide somewhere else or do anything because of fear. But I want you to know that God is not fearful of anything and God is not surprised by anything. Praise his name. We can overcome fear by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, some people, when it comes to fear, are like the little five-year-old Jimmy. And Jimmy was scared of the dark. And so Jimmy, uh, Jimmy and you know, his mother was making supper, and she asked him, Jimmy, she said, Jimmy, will you give me a can of tomato soup out of the pantry, please? And Jimmy said, but it's, it's dark in there, and I'm scared of the dark. And his mother replied, it's okay, Jimmy. Jesus will be there with you. Isn't that a great answer? And so Jimmy walked over to the pantry, slowly opened the door and peeked inside and saw the dark, and he said, Jesus, if you're in there, would you hand me a can of tomato soup? <laughs> I'm here to tell you Jesus will be with us. That's a humorous story, but he's always there. When we're in the darkest of every moment, whatever it is, Jesus is there. And then lastly, the thought of home or heaven. There's so much that could be said about heaven. We don't even have a clue what it's going to be like. But we do know that whatever it costs to make it into heaven, it'll be worth it. I'll tell you, you don't know what you have until you go to a war zone and you don't have it. I didn't have the privilege of getting in a vehicle and driving anywhere I wanted to drive couldn't can you imagine just getting in your own little pov your personalized own vehicle and driving five minutes down the road how that's just an awesome thing to do there's so many other little privileges you just you just take those for granted but to think about heaven jesus said in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i would have told you and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Praise God. That's heaven. You know, lots of people joke about heaven. They joke about a lot of things, but heaven's a, a great place to think about and to joke about. And I told the one story this morning for Pastor for Steve that was here, not Pastor, but Steve, about the, the individual that... Um, the preacher that made it to heaven and so he was St. Peter was walking him down the streets you know all the palatial mansions and they were all pretty kind of cookie cutter but then all of a sudden they came across this huge one is three times the size of all the others and that little preacher said well that must be my mansion right there I mean I've sacrificed all these years to spread the good news of the gospel and St. Peter said well he said we've got lots of preachers here but that's the lawyers we only got one lawyer that made it to heaven <laughs> Anyway, well, I told the story for, for Matt this morning also about the golfer that um, his good buddy had already passed away, so there he was, and his good buddy showed up and told him, he said, well, I got good news and bad news. He said, the good news is they've got golf in heaven. Well, that's awesome. And the bad news is you've got a tea time tomorrow morning. <laughs> so anyway, heaven. It'll be worth it no matter what it takes to make it to heaven. Let me tell you one more story, one more joke. This is a joke. So this, this preacher makes it to heaven, and so he's at the front gates, and St. Peter tells him, he says, well, we're glad to see you. He said, but you've got to spell a word to get into heaven. And, and the preacher says, well, I never was a good speller. He says, no, it's all right. Just spell love. Oh, that's easy. Hello, V-E, all right, come on in. So a few years pass by, and the St. Peter had to run on an errand, wherever that is, and he asked the preacher to watch the front gate. So the preacher stands at the front gate, and his wife comes to the front gate. And he says, well, Doris, you finally made it here, didn't you? She said, yes, John, are you going to let me in? He said, not so fast. 
I had to spell a word to get in here. Spell Czechoslovakia. Oh. <laughs> anyway, you know what I find amazing with my soldiers is that every one of them and everybody that dies when they die, you know, I'm not talking about even the war zone, I'm just talking about on Facebook and stuff. Somebody dies, they make it into heaven. I mean, they're, they don't have any profession. Oh, yes, uh, they're up there resting, you know, they're, they're all these eulogies and stuff. They know that not every, every single person can be a soldier. They already know that. Not everybody makes it. You know that the army, the military and the army discriminates against people. You know that, right? Sure, they don't discriminate based on race, but they discriminate based on age. You're too young. Come back. See me when you're older. Oh, you're too old. Sorry. They base on age. They based, uh, also, they discriminate based on physical issues. Oh, if you've taken certain medications for depression, anxiety, smoke dope, cerebral palsy, oh, you're overweight, uh, you cannot come into the army. All those things they discriminate against. And my soldiers know that. They know that not everybody can make it into the army or the military at all. And even if you can make it through the whole recruiter package process, some people wash out of basic training. What do they say? Oh, they're just not compatible. And yet... These same soldiers think that everybody makes it into heaven. How can that be? It's not true. But I do want to tell you this. There is no discrimination with the Lord. Praise God. It matters not your education. It matters not your race, your physical makeup, what you've done or where you've been. If you want to go to heaven... The way has already been opened. The ticket's already been purchased. The blood of Jesus Christ has already been shed. It's for whosoever will. It's a whosoever will gospel. He doesn't ask all the different questions. If you come to him and you've accepted Jesus in your heart as your Lord and Savior, this is the hope of heaven that Paul was talking about. And then he was saying, comfort and encourage one another with these words. Praise his name. I don't know about you, little crowd, but I've got my eye on heaven. Amen. I want to make it. And the more and more that things happen in this world, the more and more I become ready. It was Calvin Fudge that tells the story, and I'm almost finished here. He tells about leaving home right after high school. He said he had an argument with his dad, and he threw some, some things into a bag and headed for the door. And his dad hollered out, If you leave, don't come back. Calvin wrote a letter to his parents after being gone a certain time. And in that letter he said, You were right. I was wrong. If you want me to come back home as your son, leave the porch light on. Dropped that letter in the mail and started to make his journey in the homeward direction. He said a few days had passed, and as he walked and hitchhiked towards home, he said a salesman came along and picked him up. Where are you going, son? Home. Where you been? All over. Been away long? One year, one month, and two days. Treated him to a meal and paid for a night's stay in the hotel. And he thanked the, the salesman, and he said, my oldest boy ran away from home, and he's been gone two years and 15 days. I hope someone will be nice to my son. Calvin said two, years, two days later he was still walking towards home with about a 40 to 50 miles to go, and a trucker picked him up. He said it was dark, it was pitch black, and it was raining in sheets like only it could. And he said they were headed in the right direction to drive right by his house, and he couldn't even bring himself to look to see if the light was on. He didn't tell the trucker, but the trucker chuckled and he said, look at those people, must be some kind of nuts. He said they got three or four chairs with lamps on each one lit up and the old man out there with a flashlight aimed towards the road and the porch lights on too. They wanted their boy to come home. Gave a whole new meaning to Tom Bodette in Motel 6 leaving the light on. And I'm here to tell you, little crowd, Heavenly Father wants us to make it home. He's got the porch light on. And he wants to bring us 
the hope that we have knowing that the blood of Jesus Christ will get us there. Paul says in Titus 2, 11 and following, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Tickets already been bought. The hope and comfort and encouragement in the midst of everything that's going on around us is that God knows right where we are. And he has a place in heaven with your name on it. All you got to do is accept the ticket. Praise God. Pastor Steve, you come. From the very beginning of uh, today's service, uh, we've sang and worshipped and we've heard about the blood of Jesus. And uh, if you look over here to the painting, you can see that the, the little painter who's painting today was very prophetic. You know, the Passover, blood upon the doorpost and the lentils. The Father said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over their sins. Aren't you glad for that? And Jesus is the great Passover lamb. And do you know when there's a rainbow, when the Father looks on the earth, guess what color he sees first? He sees red. He sees the blood of Jesus. He sees his eternal promise for you and me that we might know him through Jesus Christ. John talks about this is eternal life, that you may believe in Jesus. He's the one who gives us eternal life. Eternal life begins now, and we enter into heaven and today, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, all he asks you to do is to open the door of your heart to invite him in. And the doorknob's on the inside of your heart. It's not on the outside. He's knocking, but it's on the inside. And when, if you want Jesus to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, to cause you to be a new creation in him, he will do that. He promises he'll do that. The Holy Spirit promises that he'll come in if we will open the door of our heart. But the choice is ours. We have to be the ones who open the door. We have to be the ones who say, I open the door, Jesus. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Come and save me. Come and rescue me. And thank you, Father, that when you see the blood, that I'm your child. I'm your child. And if that's you today, if, they've never, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, never open that door of your, of your heart, I would encourage you to do that today. So can we stand? And uh, if you need prayer today, some of the leaders, if you could come down, uh, we'd love to pray for you. This week I've been uh, just really thinking a lot about today's service and, uh, and this week and the significance of this week in our nation. And if there's ever a time to pray, now's the time to pray. Would you agree? Every day's the time to pray. To be honest. I've lived through a lot of stuff. You know, when you're almost 69 years old, you've seen a lot of stuff. And sometimes you see a repeat of stuff that happens over and over again. And the truth remains the same. We have to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Every day we have to fix our eyes upon Jesus. But one thing that I do know and understand, that there's power in blessing prayer. There is power in blessing prayer. And uh, a couple years ago I did a message here to all about blessing prayer, how to pray and speak blessing over our families over our work situations, over our friends, over our church, and over our city, and over our nation. And I would encourage you if, you, if you would like to begin to do that, you can make up your own blessings prayer. But I would encourage you, there's some sheets out there, maybe you could grab one of those as you go out, to begin to pray blessing. And I was thinking how significant it is for the military guys. And if you're a military guy, I just want to speak this out, or a, a veteran or a veteran's family, I just want to speak this blessing out. That I just say the Lord would bless your body, would bring health and protection and strength to you. I pray the Lord would bless your labor, your work, your reward, and your sense of security, especially in an insecure world. 
I bless your emotions that you may have love, joy, peace, and may hope come upon you in a strong way. And S, social, that you be made whole socially in your love, in your marriage, your family, and in your friends, that God would give you the ability to feel again. He'd give you the ability to love again and give you the ability to know his love, which is family, the Father's heart, that you may grow in your social involvement. And also pray a blessing over you spiritually. If you're a veteran or a veteran's family today, I would like to bless you with salvation. The message we heard was all about salvation, how Jesus loves us and how he cared for so much for us. He gave his life for us so we may know him, that you would be blessed spiritually with salvation, you'd be blessed with faith, you'd be blessed with grace, that you'd have not only grace from the Father, but you'd find grace for yourself in your time of need, that you'd find grace for yourself today through the power and presence of Jesus. And then lastly, that you'd find his power, that you'd be blessed with power in the inner man, that you may be strengthened with all hope in the inner man, so you may have power to stand, having done all to stand, the word says, even in the evil day. And so I just to declare that if you're a veteran today, a veteran's family, that the Lord would bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. As we speak blessing, the Father says he puts his name upon the very people that we're blessing. And it's a powerful way of praying. So I would encourage you, if you're struggling in prayer, don't know what to pray for our nation at the moment or your family situation, just begin to speak blessing. Just begin to speak blessing. Uh, what we've heard today was all about Jesus, all about how good he is and how he is the one who is eternal life, who gives us hope for heaven. So the Lord bless you today. If you do need prayer, we'd encourage you to come up. If any of the leaders are here, would you just come up now? And uh, God bless you today, and may his peace rest upon you in Jesus' name.